This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Candace Lim. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And I'm going to be so completely honest right now. Mm. I don't have the patience to do a fun little banter because I just, I need to dive into today's episode. We have so much to cover. Today, we're talking about the second season of Netflix's reality TV dating show, The Ultimatum. (sighs) I, I'm going to be honest, I feel sorry for you, listeners, (laughs) if you don't love reality television. And by sorry, I mean, I'm not sorry. This is our show. But there's a reason we're talking about this specific show during this specific month. The show Ultimatum, which comes from the Nick and Vanessa Lachey Cinematic Universe of Reality Television, premiered in 2022. The premise is, um, to put it lightly, unhinged. In this show, there are five couples who are on the verge of either breaking up or getting married. One partner in each couple is ready to get married. The other is not. So the first person issues an ultimatum. Marry me or I leave. And this is obviously a phenomenal place to be as a couple. Mm -hmm. Super healthy. Mm -hmm. So the show takes these couples and puts them in a social experiment with other couples just like them. And the experiment entails breaking up with the person you came into the show with, entering a trial marriage with another person on the show for three weeks, then going back to your original partner for another trial marriage for another three weeks. And at the end of this process, you decide to either get engaged to the person you came in with, get engaged to the person you were trial married to, or leave alone. Whew. I mean, this show was 100% lab-engineered chaos from the beginning, but for the second season, they decided to turn the chaos up because all of these couples are queer, specifically queer women or non-binary people. So feasibly, a couple that came in could end up fighting over the same person to get trial married to. And that happened. It does. And as a lover of mess, I I was immediately tapped in. I saw this show. I saw the promotion for it. I said, this is for me. But as the show progressed in the kind of sequential weekly drops that Netflix does now, I couldn't help feeling that despite the fact the show is called Ultimatum Queer Love, the lens through which we're viewing these people and these couples didn't exactly feel that queer even aside from the focus on this very traditional idea of marriage and during pride month of all months yeah allergies are in the air 
things are going a little haywire <laughs> right now. And I agree. And so did Lindsay Lee Wallace. She's a culture writer who wrote a piece for Time magazine called The Ultimatum Queer Love is Too Afraid to Commit. So Lindsay's on the show today to help us break down the mess, talk about how the internet has reacted to the mess, and if the show is enjoyably messy or truly representative of the queer experience in America today. But before Lindsay joins us, we want to give a little bit of background on the people and the characters we'll be talking about, because like Rachel said, there's five couples in this experiment. So first up... We have Vanessa and Xander, who've been dating for four years. The two met in high school where their boyfriends were best friends, and they meet up again later in life after they've both come out at a taco truck, and they end up dating. Now, Xander is the one who issued the ultimatum because she wants to have kids. Next up, we've got Yoli and Mal. Yoli is Venezuelan-American and Mal is Black and Cuban-American. Mal is great. Mal is also the only person on the show who is Black, which major side-eye Netflix. Mm -hmm. Mal and Yoli were friends before they dated. So Mal has been witness to the fact that Yoli seems to fall in love really easily. So Mal's not super convinced that Yoli really wants to marry her rather than just wanting to be married. Despite that, Yoli is the one who has issued the ultimatum. Mm -hmm. And our third couple is Ray and Lexi. They've been dating for three years. Lexi is the youngest person on this show, and she's 24, Ray is 27. But despite that, Lexi is the one who issued the ultimatum because she is 100,000% positive that she is ready to get married like right now, today, tomorrow, yesterday. Then... There's Tiff and Mildred, who I feel comfortable in saying are probably our most chaotic couple. Oh, yeah. They've broken up on average once every two weeks for the two-ish years they've been dating. And despite the fact that Mildred is usually the one doing the breaking up with Tiff, she still issues an ultimatum to Tiff, who is understandably hesitant to marry someone who probably just broke up with them two weeks ago. And like, it, it's worse. The chaos gets worse. Um, but last and definitely not least, there is Sam and Aussie. Aussie is the oldest person on the show this season. They're 42. And Aussie isn't sure about ever getting married and also seems to be exploring gender identity. So you can probably guess that Sam, their partner, is the one who issued the ultimatum. And you were right, because despite that, Sam is an angel on Earth in San Diego and maybe one of the most emotionally mature people we've ever seen on television. Uh, it's also truly unclear why she came on the show, because she literally could be a couples therapist. Uh, and she is actually a professional tarot advisor. So she's getting there. <laughs> And those are five couples. So now that y'all have at least heard everyone's names, it's time to dive into this not quite messy enough mess. After a short break, we'll be back with Lindsay Lee Wallace talking about the ultimatum queer love. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back with writer Lindsay Lee Wallace. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to ICYMI. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Lindsay is here because she wrote an article for Time. It's called The Ultimatum, Queer Love is Too Afraid to Commit. And I want to take a quick minute just to tell our listeners that we will be spoiling The Ultimatum, Queer Love in this episode. Okay, let's get into it. I'm going to start with you, Lindsay. Just tell us off the bat, what did you think of this season? And do you feel like it accomplished what it set out to do? So this was like a really wild viewing experience for me because I had never watched a dating show before. And I was, you know, the whole time sort of like, is this as messy or not as messy as like straight dating shows? Am I expecting too much or not enough? And what I found out, I guess, was that like apparently despite never having engaged with the genre, I have like an extremely high appetite for mess. And I was like, this is not (laughs) nearly as chaotic as I expected and (laughs) hoped. Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's, you know, just kind of demonic of me, but I felt like considering the context, considering that they specifically are labeling this like queer love, um, I was expecting the mess that I am accustomed to from within my community. And I felt like it was sort of um, lacking in that department. And when I was wondering, you know, where are like the, the archetypes that I would expect from this, which feels so like trivializing, but it's reality TV. So that's like what you think you're going to get. I was wondering, you know, where are the people that I interact with who like cause all of the drama that I know? Maybe they like got sort of a cast of people who are having like more relatable for straight people relationship issues in an attempt to create like a show that is going to be more relatable. But then I was like, okay, well, if this is about like positive representation, then where is the discussion of the actual things that like need to be talked about in front of straight people watching the show? Like, why are we just like, oh, you know, like, you never cook for me instead of like, oh, you know, our child planning is really fucked up by the fact that we have no idea if we will legally be allowed to have children by the time we're able to do that. Like, it felt like it wasn't it wasn't one or the other. And apparently I live in like a very all or nothing world. So I felt like it wasn't giving me what I came for. I think that is really fair. And that's what I really loved about your piece is that it kind of set the show as not really achieving either one of the aims that it set out to do. I am the complete opposite in that I watch so much reality (laughs) TV dating shows. It is the genre that I hold nearest and dearest to my heart. The ultimatum as a show is one of the wildest concepts. You have five couples who are at the point in their relationship where they're deciding whether or not to get married. And instead of going to couples therapy, polling their friends, tossing a coin they decide to go on a television show um that will have them break up with their current partner go into a trial marriage with another partner and then come back to their original partner and at the end they decide whether or not to get married this is the ultimatum being given 
Um, and it really is a demonic show in that it really juxtaposes the catch 22 of being in a long relationship and being like, maybe we're getting married, maybe we're not. And then highlighting it against a new romance, which is one of the most intoxicating things in the world. And so it's just like, do you love your partner of three years? Or do you love this random person who, who you just met, who wants everything that you want, which is to get married? And then it's like, go, be free, and be chaotic. So I honestly will really engage with any show that off the bat is just like, you know what? We're going to lab create something that is so terrible <laughs> that you will watch it all the way through. So I loved it. <laughs> I love that they call it a social experiment as though they're like, this is above board. This is in line with like other things we might look into in terms of psychology. And it's just like, we're just going to lock you in a horrible Airbnb and tell you that living with someone is the same as being married to them. And like, good luck with that. Have fun. Yeah. It's like, this is Netflix's Stanford prison experiment. And it's just kind of like, this is not necessary because that's the other thing about the ultimatum is this idea that like my perspective is that i like the show thought it was very juicy interesting all that stuff i also think if you are in a relationship where you need to go to a netflix reality show mm -hmm. to put an ultimatum to the test are you that strong i think this is very much a show even from the cishet version where it's this idea of like does your person hate the concept or do they just not see marriage with the person they're with and that that's a complicated thing and then mixing that up with the fact that this is a season with all women or non-binary identifying peoples it creates a lot of pressure do we have favorites in this room do we have favorites and do we have not favorites so my least favorite person was lexi and i feel like oh. i was watching people go on their journeys and like at the start everyone is like I love Lexi and I'm watching like people tweet their way through it and being like you know what actually like Lexi's not passing the smell test Lexi is behaving a little bit oddly and by the end of it being like oh, all right okay but I immediately met her and was like I do not like this woman I would not vibe with this if this were brought to me she like feels like when you like go on like a weekend beach trip with your friends she like makes like a color-coded itinerary and it's got like we're gonna go yeah. on a beach hike at eight in the morning and you're like i don't want to do that and then she like locks herself in her room and she like won't come out until you're like i'm really sorry lexi we should have gone on the beach hike you were right <laughs> which is you know that doesn't mean that she does or doesn't deserve to get married i just was like, <laughs> favorites i mean like I loved Mal, which I feel like is yeah. an uncontroversial yeah. opinion. And also, like, all of the energy that I feel like Lexi thought she was bringing of, like, I'm very mature. I'm handling this with, like, a lot of grace. I feel like Mal actually was bringing. And I was like, thank God you're here. I'm so worried about you for you're holding this whole thing on your back. Yeah. No, it really contrasts the difference between someone who has an old soul and is 24 and someone who actually has life experience and is 36, uh, which was Lexi and Mal respectively. I saw people go on the same journey. I myself went on the same journey with Lexi. I was like, okay, I guess go girl. But then there was a moment in my head where I was like, Hmm, why do you want to get married so badly at 24 Yeah, to someone you've been dating since you were 21? So basically you have no other life experience except this person. And you're like, I'm ready for forever. I don't trust that. But also I grew up in the South. So I was like, I know her. I see mm. her. I get her. So the internet seemed to have a very strong reaction specifically to Vanessa and Xander's relationship. 
this was the couple, like we said before the break, that went to high school together. And at the time, their boyfriends were best friends. They reconnected later on in life. And again, I'm a Pisces. I'm a romantic. Sometimes the stars seem to align and you force yourself to make that narrative true. Four years later, they're still together and they're wondering, should we be? And they decide to toss that question to the American public. Lindsay, what was your reaction to this couple? I'm assuming, based on the fact that Lexi is not your favorite, that you don't think Vanessa is the villain of the show, like so many people seem to. I mean, like, I totally agree that I don't think that she's like a capital V villain. I also totally would not want to be in a room with her. I don't think that I would like her. I think that she would make me feel very sad when she (laughs) hit me up to sell me leggings. But, like, I also was like you seem like so desperately insecure and like, especially when you like meet her dad, it's so evident how being raised by a man like that, whom she clearly like idolizes would make you act that way. (laughs) Like it's like he acts that way too. And in the reunion, when she's like, I realized that a big part of the reason why everyone disliked me so much was that I was like forcefully trying to make everything a joke and trying to be like laughing and cheerful all the time. I was just thinking about like, I can like imagine that happening to me if I was going to be in such a weird situation that I would be like, I'm just going to smile the whole time. And that's like surface level. The other shit that she does that is like very manipulative is not, you know, so easily dismissed. But I was just like, these are the actions of somebody who like had this moment that played out into this narrative. And then instead of doing what she should have done, which is like, break up with her boyfriend and start having sex with a whole bunch of different people and like dating around got into one serious monogamous relationship. And now she's like, I don't want to only do this forever. I never got to like experiment or whatever the fuck. And I get that. Like you definitely shouldn't get married. That's true about you. Also, you shouldn't be doing this on television. Probably (laughs) the phrase you shouldn't be doing this on television is really what most reality television comes down to. And yet here I am nom, 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 eating it up because (laughs) I'm obsessed with it. I think your read is entirely accurate. I really entered the show being like, this girl, what is happening? I'm having the most intensely allergic reaction to this woman and I I cannot help myself. And it was one of those times where I really had to pull back and be like, some people are not meant to be on television. And I think Vanessa is one of those people. And I, I, I don't think I would respond well to being on television either. You're not meant to as a normal person be able to be on television and perform in a way that is relatable to an audience. Um, and if you are, it's usually preternatural. Um, so sympathy to Vanessa. This show is coming out at a very specific time on a very specific platform. And this is an internet show. So I think it's a good time to talk about the internet of it all. I first off want to ask, Lindsay, have you been perusing the subreddit for the show? I have been. I like had a moment where I had to be like, I'm not going to get involved in these conversations because then I will not do anything else for a long period of time. And it's so strange because it's like, This wild mix of people being like, Yoli should be dropped into the ocean compared with people being like, you know, like, no Aussie hate here. I don't hate Aussie. I know it's popular in this community to hate Aussie, but I don't. And it's just like the emotions on display, the the parasocial relationships are parasocialing. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting community. This is a community that is talking about a community on television. And I think when we talk about the subreddit, We should talk about Vanessa, which is that there was a point on the subreddit when people were just constantly posting about how much they hated Vanessa and just all this stuff. And there was a point when the moderators of that subreddit had to like literally ban posts that 
mentioned her. Like, people couldn't type her name. They couldn't type the letter V. They just couldn't talk about her. And eventually, the mods of the subreddit lift that ban because you're, like, excluding discussions of 10% of the cast. But I kind of wanted to talk about this and kind of this vitriol that was aimed both at Vanessa, but I wonder if it's about something else. Like, first off, what do you make of just this anger that kind of led to this type of censorship? Like, do you think it's about Vanessa or is it maybe about the way that we talk about queer people and queer women on the internet? I didn't know that that happened, but I definitely feel like all of the um, casting of people in stereotypes and stuff that I felt like the show, which is supposedly made to do that kind of thing, didn't necessarily do, I feel like was very much taken on and taken over by all of the internet conversations about it, like on TikTok and on Reddit. And I thought that the way that people were angry at Vanessa, a lot of people seemed like, you know, I can see like the worst parts of my ex in Vanessa and I'm angry Mm. because of like the way that I was treated by like when I was that, you know, bisexual woman's first relationship, first queer relationship after only dating men and stuff like that, that is like very personal and I can understand it. And it feels like it kind of goes back to what happens when you are looking for like representation in this kind of environment where people are deliberately like getting the villain edit. Like, how are you gonna find something that is like resonant with you in kind of just somebody being like really desperate for approval and really insecure and someone who shouldn't be on TV, but also one of like the only options you have to watch queer women on television. So you are going to do that and you are going to look for everything that you thought you were going to get out of it. And I feel like the anger is not only about like her behavior, but it's about like this show and what she represents. And that is like kind of a lot of like dishonesty in people's eyes, I guess. I think you're touching on something, too, that surprises me because Rachel was the one who brought up to me that they were banning Vanessa talk on subreddit. And I think the reason I was confused is because I find her to be so basic. I find her to be so just like white plasterboard. And I sometimes wonder, is it that people feel it is easiest to project themselves onto someone who doesn't have a strong identifying quality or characteristic but the other half of it is I think it is very easy to hate people that remind us of our worst selves and that's where I think it's coming from but the worst part of it is that like this is not the real world in 2001 when people (laughs) didn't go straight to Twitter to say ah I can't believe he said that this is the internet this is subreddit this is Netflix where this show is airing globally so it's not even like Americans are only talking about this is that like while you're sleeping there are people in Germany going off about this too I think a lot of what people were like ascribing to her is just not what she doesn't appear to have that much going on it like feels like pretty basic and it feels like that's the reason why it's so easy to say like fuck this bitch she did 9-11 I know that she's got like all of these evil like she's more evil than you can possibly fathom and it's like I don't think she is I think that it's like pretty simple like I just the way Lexi was talking about her too is like like she's fake she's evil she and she's like trying to cuddle with Mal and Mal is like yeah do you like want to do any other thing besides talk about Vanessa <laughs> And I get that. It feels like what happened to Lexi with Vanessa is what happened to the entire internet with Vanessa. It's just like so easy to hate somebody that makes you uncomfortable and reminds you of things that you don't like about yourself when you're like plastering over them with like, no, it makes sense. I love Xander. I'm fine. Everything is okay. I'm smiling during this scene. One of the kind of really interesting points you made in your piece on time is 
the idea that this show isn't ready to kind of commit fully to the idea of like embodying and representing queerness, which showed up in a few different ways for me as a straight viewer. Like one was not having people's pronouns mentioned at any point in the show, which led to both viewers and cast members constantly misgendering people. Wild. Another was not having a queer host. There are straight hosts that could have done better jobs. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) Joanna looks so incredibly out of her depth mediating most of these conversations. And that kind of lack of commitment, I feel like, extended to the subreddit, which was not prepared at all for this show to drop, in that they didn't have any of the episode threads ready. People had to post on the subreddit to be like, are we talking about the ultimatum queer love? Like, what's going on here? Why are we not doing anything? That's really the power and the thirst for community that queer people have online is like, Mm -hmm. we're doing your work for you. Please let us have the conversations we're so desperate to have. Exactly. And so I wanted to say, like, that's how I saw the lack of appointment showing up. But I'm curious to how, like, where you saw it showing up, both on the show and online. I mean, I very much agree about everyone's pronouns. I felt like there were so many moments where especially Aussie was like hinting at a bunch of footage that had been cut out where Aussie is discussing like a gender journey and that the show wants like kudos for that having happened over the course of it without like depicting any of it or Aussie having any opportunity to talk about it. And when I was writing this piece, I didn't get from Netflix any like information about the cast members' pronouns. So as I was writing it, I was like, doing like CIA level investigation to not be misgendering these people in this piece and also being like, I don't know if the show, like obviously there's nothing they can do if people are like coming out or like having realizations about themselves after they've shot this. But I also can't believe that the best they could do is simply be like, we're just not going to get into the idea that the show called Queer Love might have anything to say about gender or anyone whose pronouns are anything other than she, her. That's not going to be addressed here. And it's also like, obviously not the responsibility of any of these people to be like delivering, you know, scathing treatises on the trans experience in America today during the show in any way. But it's also hard for me to believe that all these people who were like locked in this like grayscale dystopian Airbnb together for all this time never had a single conversation about any of that. So then I'm like, okay, Netflix, like, did you cast people who didn't want to talk about like what it is like to be queer in America today, considering marriage, considering a family, considering whatever on purpose? Or did, did they talk about it and you chose not to include that? Like what, how did this happen? And if you want to call this show queer love, like, I like imagine the scene in a boardroom where someone was like, the ultimatum lesbian love. And someone else was like, no, 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 the kids are actually saying queer nowadays, but like without any, without any assessment of what it means to call something queer. Right. And we're going to get into that and a lot more, but first we need to take a short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. 
Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi, ICY, my listeners. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays, which was a mailbag episode where we talked about babies on planes and Maddie Healy and Taylor Swift. And we're back. So... Before the break, Lindsay, you were questioning if there was thoughtfulness in the way they portrayed queerness. And it kind of brings up two things for me. I think the first one being that there was just such a weird focus and I'm going to say fetishization of the sex scenes. And this is a show that not only chose not to blur parts or they decided to really hang heavy on the captions which we're always saying moaning um but to me there was something a little off about this decision to show queer sex but not discuss what queer intimacy looks and feels like you know in the reunion Lexi does a pretty good job of explaining that there's kind of like a spectrum when it comes to queer sex a defined term like what you may define as sex I may not define as sex versus what they, they define as sex like it's so vague and so like intimacy in general for me in that sense because we are queer and because sex is different like I was like, really? You didn't have sex? Like, she's doing this to this person. Like, that's that's sex to me. You only spend six weeks in heaven and then you can go get a check on live with Regis and Kelly. I just (laughs) sometimes wonder if there was a type of suppression that happened because of this timeline that makes me think like, man, these people were put in a difficult position. And I just don't know how that rings to me, especially with what you're saying. With so much trans legislation, the fact that, like, marriage for queer identifying people was not even a thing 10 years ago, like, there's just something a little off about the execution that I don't sit very well with. Yeah, it feels, there's, like, there's one moment, I think, where Tiff is, like, I haven't thought about marriage because marriage wasn't an option for me growing up. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that. Anyway, back to the show where the whole premise is whether or not we want to get married and we will never again discuss why that might be relevant. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. 
the what you were saying about the sex is like not only that but also i think in the first or second episode there's like an incredibly elaborate produced scene of intimacy between tiff and mildred mm-hmm. that i was mm-hmm. like this is not at all what i thought <laughs> reality tv sex was like i don't know uh, what the goal is of this i don't know who this isn't for me i don't know same yeah as someone who watches a lot of shows like this This is the most explicit sex I've seen on a Netflix reality TV dating show besides, and I tweeted this, Love is Blind season four, where they did the same thing to a black couple. And it's really striking to me that the people that they're showing having explicit sex on television are queer and black. It's weird. It feels like they're like, if the whole point of this is like, the only reason straight people would want to watch this is for a weird, you know, little look into what these freaks are living like, then, you know, we've got to make sure that we have industrial lighting on this, like, sex scene that's supposed to be happening at nighttime, or, like, that we've got, like, fancy lingerie that we went and bought for Mildred to wear during this, like, this is just what they do on evenings, like, yeah, I don't, and I felt very much, like, all of these, it's, like, it's not like they're fake queer people, so I'm, like, how did this how was this for you? Like while this was happening, did you feel like you were being represented accurately? Did you feel like you were in too deep? Like, I just, I'm like stressed out for them watching it, even though I know it's now, like you said, like years down the line, I'm like, Oh no, this could have not, this could not have been anything other than making you feel like a, like a bug under a magnifying glass in like the worst way. I mean, I feel like what we're talking about here is that kind of tension that was really present in your piece, which is that the show is caught between two different aims, one of which is the one that all reality TV shows share, which is mess. Um, And the show's messy, but you mentioned, like, we develop real affection for most of these people by the end of the show, which brings us to the second aim, which would be like an accurate representation of queer relationships. But it, the show is entirely devoid of any discussion of like the sociopolitical context that these people live in. So it ultimately ends up kind of failing on both and that it doesn't go like whole hog on mess or try to really delve into anything that's happening in the world. And I'm curious as to what you think it would look like for this show to succeed on either aim. The moments that are the messiest of this are not, like, fun to watch. Like, Aussie having what seems like a panic attack or something without, like, context given to what is going on for Aussie and not any, like, not that I, you know, am entitled to that, but just, like, there's no, like, ooh, my fun, you know, watch over my rosé to watching somebody clearly confront, like, a bunch of unprocessed trauma and then going back to, like, so do you want to get married? And, like, the same is true for pretty much everyone's issues that we come up against, like the, the fight that Tiff and Mildred have at the reunion is not like fun to watch. It's not like, and it, I mean, again, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be included or anything like that. It's not like, you know, I only want to come here if everything is going to be light and fun because that's not the case for any relationships. And it's not the case for queer people in America right now. But then, like you said, it's also not going to tell me like, how the sociopolitical context we're living in is impacting all of this and where the trauma of like Aussie not being out to Aussie's family comes into that panic attack that happens because that's like not a major topic of conversation. And I feel like for this to have been done in a way that would have felt either really fun for me and my friends or like meaningful representation, it either would have had to depict what I have to imagine were naturally occurring conversations about like 
the context that they were living in when they're deciding whether they want to get married and where they want to live and, you know, how it makes sense to bring children into the world as queer couples. Like, I don't believe that those conversations weren't happening because we saw like glimpses of them. So to depict those things, to introduce us to everybody with their pronouns, to include conversations that people are having that go beyond just like, I think Malintiff being like, haha, if we dated, like who would bottom? Who's to say? Like the sexual politics of queer relationships could have been part of this too. But no, we just get like bizarre sex scenes. And mm-hmm. like all of that feels very like, I don't like going off half cocked on addressing any of those issues. I'm wondering how you feel like that kind of approaching this in this really half-assed way influenced like the online discussion of the show. I felt really surprised when I started seeing stuff come out about it, like people's conversations and then also like reviews and stuff from people being like, this is exactly what we need. And I just felt like this pain that I feel whenever I have something negative to say about like queer media, which is like, we all want this to succeed because we want to, you know, be seen as like a profitable enough block of people to create content for that you keep letting queer people be on TV. And like, the question of whether or not it is like good for any part of society to have a queer dating show aside, it certainly is saying like queer people exist in the world and date and get married and we can make TV about that. And that is like legitimizing if only under capitalism. But like, I think that it's just that reluctance to admit that maybe something is not that good that we feel because we're like, we're never going to get anything else if we say that. And I can see that with like the fervor that people engage with this with that it almost to me felt like not forced, but like, I need this to be something that I have a lot of emotions about because I don't know when I will get this opportunity again. (laughs) Mm, I really like that you're saying that because I think the question I am coming back to in this conversation is like, do we think the internet made this experience better or worse as viewers? For me, kind of both in that I found myself on the Reddit a lot and found um, a lot of people saying a lot of things that I thought were really wrong. And that helped me figure out how I felt about the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like, because I had screeners, I didn't like engage with other people who were watching this while I was watching it, which is like always a weird thing because I'm like very much, I'm like, in in like my most horrible insecure moments like do I have all the wrong opinions <laughs> and then as it started like coming out and people were talking about it and I was seeing like everyone being like I love Lexi like I want her with me on a desert island I was like I guess I was way off about this mm-hmm. but it's like I mean I know that this is like kind of adjacent to what was asked but the other thing that started happening was that immediately TikTok was like do you want to see the people on the show today talking about how they feel about this being released right now. And it gave me this feeling of like, whatever I have to say about how this went for them, I like can't imagine being in their position and seeing like random ass people being like, you're abusive or you're, you know, you're the villain of this or you're the, you're the victim of this when maybe you were the perpetrator and like the way that that's going to fuck up that dynamic. And like, I, you know, there's the opportunity to interact with them directly. They're just like available to us. And I know that that's like going back to just my not having watched reality TV before. So I know that's par for the course, but I was like, this is fucking crazy. I could just like comment on this reel and say something completely out of pocket and I won't, but other people are. And like, I feel like the, all of the emotions that we talked about being stirred up by like the show's afraidness to commit are now like fully being directed at the people 
in the show, despite them being, you know, years down the line, hopefully more mature, definitely in different places in their lives. And it's like to be confronted with the way that you were behaving in this like awful grimy fishbowl several years ago now when the climate for queer people has only gotten worse feels nightmarish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I totally hear what you're saying about just the weirdness of the accessibility. And also, uh, it should be noted that if you guys have watched the season, you should also read the To Doom article on Netflix about like what happened after the reunion, because I believe and correct me if I'm wrong, guys. It's one couple that stayed together. Everyone else is broken up. Yes. Okay. You're correct. Which is just so LOL because the other half of it is like, let's say you're Lexi, you go on Reddit, you see all these people talking about someone that you broke up with one to two years ago. And it's just like, why? Why would why is grandpa talking about my ex from five Christmases ago? I don't want to talk about them. And so that's so that's one half of the dystopia we live in. The second half of it, I think, is that, you know, I go on Reddit one because sometimes I have opinions that I want to be validated that I don't see critics from like Variety, Deadline, Hollywood Reporter that I don't see them picking up on. And I'm like, I need to find someone who believes what I believe Um, (laughs) that what I'm basically talking about is um. There's a scene where Ray and Lexi reunite and they meet up with Lexi's parents mm-hmm. and Lexi's parents and Lexi just go after Ray. And I'm like, not only does this make me feel weird racially, but also like, do you think this makes Ray want to marry your daughter when you are screaming at her that you are a jeweler of engagement <laughs> rings? No. <laughs> I'm trying every day, it just but it seems like, like be- you're just really, you're having a really rough time doing Well, that. I would like to ask you, like, what would you do in an experience with the person that you know just betrayed your trust and was intimate with someone else? Hold on, hold on. And when you're talking about her sex that she had while drunk, that she clearly has been made to feel, in my opinion, so much worse about that makes any kind of sense. And you're talking about it with your partner's parents. Mm-hmm. Like, and she's just fucking like crying because what are you going to do? Like argue mm-hmm. in your favor at all? Of course not. <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, I may be, a, I may be a conservative here, but I kind of believe you shouldn't talk about fingering in front of your in-laws. Hot take. <laughs> Honestly, Candace, you might want to take a step back from that. You might be canceled for that. You're right. Um, no, like you're not <laughs> embracing the queerness of the conversation. <laughs> and obviously queerness is talking to your partner's parents about fingering. You're right. You're Thank right. You. During Pride Month. Wow. What would Svedka think? <laughs> In front of the three pizzas. I know. <laughs> um, but I think the other half of this is that I like to sometimes go on Reddit because I have a very specific perspective. I'm watching this as a straight woman, Sisset. And sometimes I feel like there are things I'm not catching. There are reactions I'm not catching. There are term- There's terminology in the queer community that I'm not understanding. And... Something I like about internet discourse around reality TV nowadays is like, I feel like there's just a little more nuance than, let's say, Twitter or Facebook, because I feel like Twitter or Facebook nowadays is very one sided, very my AP English teacher posting articles about Nancy Pelosi. And it's like, ah, OK. Um, but I guess the question that kind of remains for me is just like, does the internet conversation we have does it help bring like a new season? Does it make you more interested in like the 
communities surrounding this? And is this actually community? Is this actually community that we are creating? Or is it just people hating on Vanessa and upvoting each other and feeling validated by that? I feel like communities have been forged for worse reasons and that this is still a bad reason. So I like I feel like even if even if everyone was confronted with the idea of like you are not actually bonded together by something that is meaningful or helpful to you, it like wouldn't matter at all. Once again, that was Lindsay Lee Wallace. You should definitely read her piece on the ultimatum queer love, which is up on time.com. You should also watch the ultimatum queer love. Something we didn't really get into during the show because the show, the ultimatum didn't really get into it at all is that one of the contestants, Mildred, disclosed during the reunion that she was arrested for what seems to be domestic violence. She threw a pet gate at her partner, Tiff. It's mentioned in the reunion and then is very quickly glazed over. And then the host starts asking Mildred about her dating life. It's another example of what we were talking about during the show, which is that Netflix and The Ultimatum did not really seem prepared at all for what they were covering. But we did want to mention it. It's it's a mess. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I am glad that we talked about this show. We're grateful to Lindsay for joining us. And if you want to watch the mess, it's on Netflix. If you want to discuss the mess, check out the subreddit. And that is our show. We will be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a discussion of a reality television program. Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your friends who are giving ultimatums to their partners about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, Who is Xander? Who is Yoli? And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Rachel Hampton, Sierra Spragley-Ricks, and me, Candice Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or on the Ultimatum subreddit. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.